0: Hi, I'm Dr. Adam Bureau and it's my privilege to be here with you. and we're all here what? To be instructed, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be the men that God has called us to be. And you know, I've been teaching in the Bible college. That's my main thing around here, teaching and administration. And um, we've been talking a lot about the life of Elijah. So I can't help but turn to his life and and bring out some nuggets for you guys. And I, I hope it'll be a blessing for you. Because let's face it, we all love Elijah. I mean, who doesn't know the story of Elijah facing innumerable odds, right? He is that one-man army. He he rises to the occasion. He's against, you know, all of these opposing factors, and he stands alone in the name of God. He's got the higher moral ground, you know, that backbone, just everything that we love to see. He's a real godly man's man, amen? Like, I want to be Elijah, Right? Except for that part where he gets a nasty letter from the queen and he runs away crying, right? Like, not that part so much. So we have to ask, how does this guy who is so mightily used from God, who is able to stand up in front of a nation against hundreds of enemy prophets, yet he is unable to Withstand the smallest level of criticism from this woman. What, what's going on there? And how can we really learn something for our own lives from it? So just to back up, I mean, we're familiar with the story, but to refresh, think about it. Elijah lived in a day when the entire nation, because the king of the nation makes the decision. He says, you know what? We're no longer the people of Yahweh, of the one true God of Israel. We are the people of Baal. We're serving Baal. This is my wife's God, and I want to comply to this new system, everybody get on board, this is what we're doing. Elijah says no. That God, Baal, who you maybe know, but Baal promised, the belief, what they thought about Baal, they, they believed that Baal was a God who could send them rain, a God that could bring fertility to the ground. Basically, Baal was the God of the good life he was the one who promised them just prosperity and abundance so why wouldn't we want to serve him but elijah stands up and he says baal you think you're a storm god and you can send the rain the rain will not come until i give a word until the lord gives me the word to declare that the rain will come and that's exactly what happens right it's amazing he goes off into hiding and even in the midst of a famine, what? God is supernaturally providing for him. You know, Baal's supposed to be the one providing for Israel now. Israel, who's depending on Baal, is going through lack and famine. And there's Elijah out in the middle of a desert where there shouldn't be anything good coming his way. And what? The ravens are bringing him food day by day. It's an awesome story. Then the next part of the story, it takes a bit of a turn, and he heads off to Zarephath, and you maybe know that name, but you need to understand Zarephath is right in the heart of Baal territory. Tyre and Sidon were the two major cities of Jezebel's family, the the ruling powers that worship Baal that Ahab, her husband, is trying to come in favor with, trying to appease. And you have to know that for the pagans, their gods were the gods of their land, right? That's Yahweh's land over there. This is Baal's land over here. And Ahab's in that God, but basically Elijah goes right to Baal's home turf and he says, my God's still in charge here too. And they were in the same famine. They weren't exempt. Baal wasn't pulling them out just because that was his land and his people. No, they're under the famine too, because God is showing that there's only one true God. And in the midst of those circumstances, even in Baal's hometown... Elijah experiences supernatural provision and we see the dead being raised back to life because God is in control of his circumstances. It's just amazing, right? And what does then Elijah do when the word of the Lord finally comes and the drought is going to be over? He has to make a point of it, right? He calls Israel up to Mount Carmel. And again, Mount Carmel, if you look at a map, this is the border. This is where in their mind the influence of Yahweh, the God of Israel, stops and Baal's influence begins. Israel stops here and the Phoenicians, the Tyre, Tyre and Sidonia, they that's not it. <laughs> This is where Israel stops, and this is where the Phoenician territory, where Baal's territory begins. And he chooses that strategic point to make this statement that our God is the God of the rain. Our God is the one who sends fire. You might think that your God is a God of fire. Go ahead. What does he tell the prophets of Baal? Call out to him. Do your rituals. Offer your sacrifices. See if you can wake him up because that's what they believe. They believe that when the rains wouldn't come, it was like their God was asleep. Their God had temporarily died, but if we just do the right rituals and we get his attention, then he will restore prosperity to the land. He will return, but Elijah makes a complete mockery of that whole system, of that whole way of trying to worship God and trying to manipulate God into giving prosperity to his people. And he humbles himself, he draws the people together, he makes a sacrifice, pours water over the sacrifice, and what? He calls simply on the name of the true God, and what happens? Fire falls. But today what we're really talking about You know, it's such an amazing moment. Fire falls, and what's the response of the people? They've been doing everything they know to do to get Baal to respond, no go. And they've now seen that God, that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the true God. And they begin to declare that. They begin to shout and rejoice and say, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. And at Elijah's simplest command. They go and they kill off all of the prophets of Baal. I love it. (laughs) It's a guy's story, isn't it? Action, fighting, destroying the enemies, moving forward, that raw, raw rallying moment. And I have to wonder, had Elijah seen beyond this moment? Or had Elijah invested so much in this showdown, in that 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 moment of success, that moment in which God would be proven beyond a doubt to be the true God, that he really had no plan beyond it. And I've been thinking about this as I've been teaching and reading and studying this, because how many of you know that quite often in our lives as men, well, people in general, but us as men in particular that we're so project driven, we're so success driven. You know, maybe that's our pride, our sense of prestige. We wanna be somebody, we wanna do something. And what happens? There, there's this amazing thing that when we actually accomplish what we set out to do, like Elijah there on the mountain, it's it's really happening, it's all come together. God's people are gonna worship him again. It's, this is awesome. But what happens? that, you know, I, I just typed something into my computer that there, uh, I was thinking about this, how there's often after a great success... An, an opportunity for a great letdown, even for depression. You know, I just typed in some, some things. I started searching into this and all of these titles started to pop up. Have you ever experienced something like this? Just listen to this. Why you might feel empty after having achieved a huge goal. Why reaching a huge huge goal can feel like a letdown. Feeling depressed after reaching a big goal? Big goal achieved. So why do I feel lousy? <laughs> Dealing with post-achievement depression. Isn't that interesting? How we can be at the top of the world in one moment, and in the very next moment, we're spiraling into depression, and that is exactly what happened to Elijah. He, he lived the moment that he was longing to live, but he couldn't withstand a little bit of hate mail from Jezebel. And it sends them out to the desert. Lord, just kill me already. Life sucks. I want it to end. How is that possible? You know, and not that we're going to get into psychology much here. We're looking at the Bible, but think about this. There's actually that, that dopamine drive, that shot on the inside of us as we're building up to an exciting, demanding situation. It's, it's a drug that we're living on. It's a high, it's a rush. And then when that moment passes is the crash, right? So how does Elijah deal with this situation? How does the Lord deal with Elijah in the midst of it? Fast forwarding the story, God calls him to a place of remembrance. God calls him to a place that is more ancient and deep and powerful than, than even what Elijah has done has even lived in this moment with fire falling from heaven. He calls him to the mountain of God where he gave his covenant, his commandments to Moses. And we know the story, he gets there. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And you know, this isn't how Elijah answers, but I'm kind of like, didn't you call me here, God? Because <laughs> the angel met with him. He said, go to Mount Horeb, go to the mountain of God. And there I will meet with you. So why is he asking him this? Because he's trying to get Elijah to evaluate what's really in his heart. What is it that has gone wrong? And what does Elijah say is, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And he says this amazing thing. And I, even I only am left. Was that true? And you know, it's interesting. You go back to Mount Carmel. He says this exact same thing. I, even I only am left. Mm. God asks him again in a few verses later, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I don't know about you, but when God asks me the same question twice, I might reevaluate my answer the first time. Maybe I shouldn't answer the same way, but Elijah, exact same answer. I, even I only am left. But what did God do? He showed up in a wind. He showed up in an earthquake. He showed up in a fire, which is replaying how he spoke to Moses on that very same mountain and started the nation of Israel. He's saying, Elijah, this is something I started long before you got here, but you need to draw in closely and listen to what I have to say for you remember who I am, remember how amazing, how great, how big of a picture you are a part of, but you are only one part of that big picture. So what happens? The wind passes, the earthquake passes, the fire passes. And in some ways, it's also like that rah-rah moment he just lived. And he's saying, Elijah, you need to draw close to me. You can't live on The fire show. You can't live in that mountaintop experience. You live in the intimacy, hearing my voice. So it says, after all of those things, there was a sound of a low whisper. It settled, there was silence, and God could speak to him. And what does he do to Elijah? He says, I want you to go anoint the next king of Syria, I want you to go anoint the next king of Israel. And I want you to go name and anoint the next major prophet who's going to come after you. Elijah, I love you, and I'm gonna, I've used you, but you can't live on those mountaintop experiences. You live in intimate place, hearing my voice, following my commands. You're one part of this picture. And I'm not done with you but one day your part will end and you need to prepare, put things in place for the future. And you know, I've kinda of had fun retelling the story a little bit to you and you can go into First Kings chapters 17 through 19 and read this for yourself. But we need to recognize as men. As much as we need goals, as much as we need to have something to fight for, something to work towards, we don't live for success. We don't live for recognition. And we most certainly don't live just expecting that if we do the right things and all the pieces fall in place, everybody's going to get on board and do what they're supposed to do. No, we are supposed to follow the Lord from a place of intimacy, from a place of hearing His voice and doing His will and being content knowing that we're part of a bigger picture and this goes beyond our own life, beyond our own efforts and beyond anything that we can do in our own strength. I don't know about you, but that's challenging and that's encouraging. So I I hope you got something out of that today and I just bless you. Father, I ask you to, touch my brothers and cause them to arise to accomplish great things but in the moment when they're questioning is that all there is I've done what I've been called to do what else is there left for me that they draw in close again and they're able to hear your voice and get a glimpse of the bigger picture thank you lord amen